This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our monthly Bright Focus chat presented by the Bright Focus Foundation. My name is Guy Eakin. I'm the Vice President for Scientific Affairs at Bright Focus. It's been a busy week at Bright Focus. We just announced uh, this week, if you're on our list, $11 million in new grants for Alzheimer's disease, macular degeneration, and glaucoma. Of course, the subject for today is, is the chat and is talking about macular degeneration and practices that we can have at home and help that we can get from occupational therapists. So our speaker today is Mary Jo McGuire, who is a registered licensed occupational therapist and is in private practice and specializes in working with people who have low vision. So Mary Jo, thank you so much for joining us from Ohio today. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, Guy. So Mary Jo, as you already know, we host these chats on a monthly basis, and because they focus on macular degeneration and low vision, we frequently hear from ophthalmologists and retinal specialists who focus primarily on clinical topics. So we're excited to shift gears a little bit today and talk about living life with low vision to the fullest. And maybe before we start, I'd like to ask you to give some background on what occupational therapy is, or OTs, and, and the role that they're playing in, a, in treatment plans, and maybe any view that you have of, uh, of, the, of what, what low, occupational therapists can offer to low vision. Thanks, Guy. I'd, I'd love to. As a matter of fact, I, I think I have been asked to describe what OT is um, for <laughs> for over 40 years. I've been a therapist for almost 40, and uh, throughout that time, it uh, used to be people had no, had never even heard of what occup of occupational therapy. But now I hear people going, oh, my cousin or my granddaughter or whatever, and people have heard a little bit about it, but still aren't quite sure who we are, what we do. So first off, it's a, we are medical healthcare professionals. So um, when you think about therapy, there are three uh, skilled services from Medicare's point of view that they will pay for, and that's physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech language pathology. And so PT and OT people often ask the difference there, and I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to focus on OT and low vision today. But um, the, the, the therapists are educated as uh, entry-level masters or as entry-level doctorates. So people come out with masters or doctorates in occupational therapy, and their background is in health sciences, anatomy, physiology, all the pathologies, what could go wrong with the body, you know, what goes wrong with the eye, from the eye down to, you know, the GI system, the neurological system. So we study the, the, the health of the body, and we also study the health of the mind. So occupational therapists have been trained in psychology and sociology and study the impacts of disease and disease processes on the human mind, and in particular, um, on the ability of the individual then to, to do things. So when we say occupations, it's not work. It's not vocational rehabilitation. Uh, occupations, from the OT's point of view, is everything a person does, from getting out of bed in the morning to finding the toothpaste and the toothbrush to getting dressed and then walking the dog and taking out the garbage and if they work, all of their work roles. So it's a very broad field. 
and it and it goes across the lifespan. So my work is primarily with older adults and actually with brain injured clients too. But uh, we're going to talk today on uh, primarily the older adults with low vision and what an OT does to it when, when an OT comes into their life. Um, and I guess that's what I'm most excited about in being able to have this opportunity to, um, to share a little bit because many times ophthalmologists and optometrists and the retinal specialists really don't know about OT. And so whereas Medicare says it's a benefit for someone with macular degeneration, uh, if the doctor doesn't know about us, then the individuals don't receive the services. So I'm glad about this hour. That's an interesting point. And you you mentioned Medicare is one insurance provider that that covers it. And I think people would be interested to know if other insurances typically cover OTs. But but there's another question of uh, are referrals needed? And if if your doctor isn't aware of services that provide it, if that's something that you'd like to explore, uh, how how do you go about finding the services of an OT and getting the necessary uh, trail in order to make sure that you can be covered by your insurance? Well, first, if we talk about insurance, um, most of the major insurance companies follow right along with whatever uh, Medicare covers. And so uh, occupational therapy is covered in, in, in all of the major um, insurance companies. Uh, so they, the folks can, can check, but typically people will have 20 to 40 occupational therapy visits covered. Sometimes it's, you know, it depends on their, uh, the, what the insurance company calls their product, whether or not it's an, at 80% or uh, for us as part of these occupational therapists, we can go into the people's homes and have it covered at 100%. And if you're in a Medicare Advantage program, uh, quite often it's a, it is a benefit sitting there that people don't know about. And so let's, I, I think at this point, what I'd love to talk about, well, what would an OT do? What, what, sure. what benefit is OT? So when I go into an individual, um, when I go into doing an occupational therapy evaluation with a low vision client, my big question is, how has this impacted your life? And it's, it's an overwhelming question for some people very early on because it can feel like by the time I get in, it's like my life has totally changed. I can't do this. I can't do, I can't do X, Y, Z, or this is more difficult or whatever. And I take, you know, very careful notes about what, um, what is, what the concern is. So it may not be that the person can't do something. First instance, they can get dressed, but, um, you know, uh, whether the, you know, the finding the right pairs of socks in the laundry or being able to make sure you're buttoned right or getting the, the jewelry on right. For some people, that's the concern. Um, for other people, it's, you know, I can't read the newspaper. And I, I you know, I used to, you know, it's, a, it's an important part of life is looking at the obituaries, to be honest. I mean, that's, that's a, that this is a stage of life over 60 years old where we don't want to miss something important like somebody passing. So um, 
you know, that's often, you know, that can be a concern or um, I can't adjust the thermostat. I even put the big letters or big numbers on it and I can't do that. So I don't, my approach and therapists are different, but my approach is not to come in with a checklist. Can you do this? Can you do that? I mean, I have a questionnaire, a low vision questionnaire that I go through that kind of covers typical things that are people have problems with, but I'm most, interested in hearing from the individual's point of view how low vision has impacted their ability to participate in life. Then we get into uh, equipment and strategies, etc., related to those specific occupations. Well, Mary Jo, I, I really love your philosophy about how an OT can help increase enjoyment by making a few course corrections and how a person approaches their day. And before the conver- before the talk, we were having a conversation about the the intersection between our, our vision and our mind. And you had had a couple mm-hmm. of observations about uh, about how people enjoy their life in the context of of mental health as it relates to, mm-hmm. to vision. I, I'd be wondering if you would mind sharing that with the audience. Oh, sure, Guy. Thank you. I As I was thinking about my, the clients I've served, um, one of the things that I feel has been a real valuable thing to help them, relieve them in a way, is to talk about how vision, visual impairments impact our memory. When you think about, and, and this is a, a very important thing, because once you start losing your eyes, then the, you know, if, if you're forgetting things, you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm really falling apart. Now is there some dementia? And what's happening to me? The reality is that our memory is, uh, you know, we encode information through our senses, and then we can remember it. If, when someone's uh, vision is impaired, you can imagine their brain is not getting as much information as it used to. So they're working with uh, a less encoded information. So that makes memory, uh, it causes people not to remember things because they didn't see it. Somebody shows them something and is talking about it and perhaps you know, they're only picking up a part of what is being seen, and so they're depending more on their memory or on, their, uh, on what they hear. And actually, that's a, that's a strategy that I'll put out there for folks, too, is to make sure when somebody is um, trying to show and tell you something and you're not seeing it uh, as well as you would like, um, to, to have it described a little more in detail or for you to even... Um, Talk about it. So will you give yourself an extra auditory cue? So that was Thursday, uh, August 4th, for instance. Or, um, and so you say it out loud, and that helps your brain to remember, even though somebody's showing it to you. So the decrease in vision causes a decrease in encoding the information. The second thing with my, uh, the folks I serve who uh, are going through this you know, change in vision, is there's a lot more on your plate to remember. Um, a memory has been described as like a, 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 a stovetop with six burners. And, you know, when you were in your 30s, you could go on vacation and take everything off the burners and everything was great. You could remember everything that was put on and 
but at this point in life, now there's a disease process, and now you've got all this other information that you have to keep in your working memory. For instance, what's your doctor's name? What's the name of the medication you're taking? When do you take it? How much do you take? Where is your medication stored? And your listeners can probably tell you where their medications are stored. Where's the doctor's office? How do you get there? What's the name of the nurse or receptionist there? When's your next visit? I do this, you know, just listening to all those questions. All that information is now on your fingertips. That's on in working memory, and that's important information. Well, guess what? It takes up a burner. So it's not that you have, you're having necessarily, a, you know, there's not a dementia going on. You really do have less working uh, memory power because you're holding on to significant information. And the, 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 the last thing I would say is that, that, and you may not even notice, but, you know, the, the, the most common strategy for remembering things is writing things down. And folks with macular degeneration, and especially as it goes on, other eye diseases too, um, writing things down is not a good strategy anymore because you, it's hard to write it, it's hard to read it, and then you, you only put on a fewer words and then you can't even understand what you meant. It's so frustrating. So uh, the, the, the key strategy that you've used all your life to remember something is now sort of being removed. So without getting in, and I'm not, you know, we're not going to get into a lot of the details, but there's other strategies now that have got to be used to remember things. So I just hope that this will help perhaps some of the listeners who may be feeling like my eyes and now I can't remember. It's like, uh, 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 be careful. Your memory might be fine. It's just that you're not encoding it well enough or, uh, you know, you're not using the strat- other strategies to help you remember. Well, I think I think that's a wonderful description about that. As I described it, that <clears throat> intersection between between memory and vision, which is so important to us at the Bright Focus Foundation. But I think one of the most important things you began to you know you 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 talked about the overarching problems, and you got into a few of the sort of the the tactical things that people can do, uh, queuing up auditory clues, you know, to, mm-hmm. to help with memory. But I think one of the more important things we can do today is, you know, get down to some of the brass tacks on just making okay. suggestions to help people make the most out of the out of the remaining vision and okay. help ensure that they're able to do some of the things that they love. So, you know, okay. reading, playing cards. But, you know, we have, uh, you have a whole arsenal of equipment and you have a whole arsenal of just personal strategies. You know, what are the, what are the things that a client most commonly comes to you and says, I'm having trouble doing this in my life? Mm-hmm. And, you know, would you give some examples of the type of suggestions that, uh, that an OT might provide and the, the things Certainly. that people might try at home? Certainly. Um, the, the first two that probably come to my mind are um, that when usually I come in that they haven't been adjusted are the washer and the dryer and the thermostat. <laughs> and so when we talk about what the OT does, we, we look at three things. The lighting, the size of what you're looking at, and contrast. 
those are the three key things that we will come in and try and adjust. So on the washer and dryer, most people will say, well, this is the setting I usually use. So we'll go in and make sure that we either put on, you know, like a, a bright orange fluorescent dot or um, a bump, uh, a colored bump, or I've made great big uh, fluorescent arrows to be able to point at different, uh, at a couple different settings. And then to add light, uh, even though there's light on and you may think that the light is bright enough, when we add a very specific task lighting, uh, it can just pop those colors or pop those dots and then suddenly turning the washer or dryer on is just not a problem anymore and that that's i think the joy of working with folks with low vision is when we find the activity that's a, that's the problem we become bulldogs in trying to to figure out how to make this easier for you so uh you know lowe's has got and i don't I, I have no stock in Lowe's, but you know, and there's other other there may be other um, companies too around that may have these, but have a variety of different types of lights, and you know they have the little pop up lights with LED lights, and you have to be careful because some of them only have three LEDs, some of them will have five. Um, I had one client who had arthritis who couldn't push the light, and so we went to. Um, a different type of light that actually was um, had a motion sensor in it. So she didn't even have to turn it on, and we had it spotted right on the dials of the washer so that when she put her hand back, the light went on, and she could dial it. So it's tiny little things like that that can make a big difference and make you not frustrated with um, a vision loss because you're using your other senses, your... Um, the other one I would add is, and that was a great strategy for one for another client was um, the, this baseball cap with LEDs in them. Have you seen those guy? I I, I own one. <laughs> do you? Uh-huh. I do. My my yeah. my kids gave it to me for camping. So, but but let me let me hear where you find them because I have no idea where they got it. Well, you know what? There's there you can find them online. So if you Google, there's a lot of different stores that would have them. And if you just Google baseball cap with LED lights. And there's a variety of types of them out there now. And and actually the one I purchased for a client was at Lowe's. And so they the baseball cap and some of them have several they have, they have a variety of types out there now. It's really taken off. It's a little niche industry I think on creating different types where they will um either be a broad beam or a narrow beam or two or one. So you have a variety. So you pinch the cap. You you can't see the light. It looks like a normal baseball cap for people who haven't seen it. It looks like a normal baseball cap, but it has um, light inside the, the brim. And when you pinch the brim, the light comes on. And that's so convenient because my clients can put that on. The one lady hangs one right next to the thermostat. Because even though we had the large um, uh, numbers uh, uh, in the rim around the old pipe thermostat, she still couldn't see it with the light on in the dining room. But when she put the baseball cap on, it just she had no problem with the um, with the uh, 
uh, thermostat anymore. And I, I can tell you, it's mm-hmm. it's it's absolutely what you're describing. It looks for all the world like a baseball cap, but there's just mm-hmm. a little hidden button in that brim that you touch, and suddenly everything's lit up. You know, we're starting to get a few of the questions, and a couple have been submitted before the, the talk that relate to light. And we had Betty from Alabama and Judith from Georgia um, asking kind of two questions about light. One, one saying that sometimes brighter light leads to nausea if she uses it mm. too long. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there was a question about sort of where's a good place to start with lighting and how do you, how do you adjust it? Is there, is, there, is there a general rule of thumb you can give people or is it all based on personal preference? Well, it's, it is preference and it's the specific activity. So this is where we don't come in and say, oh, here's the light you need. No, show me, show me the activity you're trying to do. Show me where you're doing it. And now let's look at what light is needed. So we really put it into the context of the environment where you're doing the activity. Um, the, the, I want to just touch on the nausea because it sounds like, um, and I think that was Betty who was experiencing that, that it was just... Um, your nervous system can get overwhelmed with too intense stimulation. So, and, and the good news is that it can become desensitized to that too. So if the light was enabling you to do something, but it was making you nauseous, obviously you decrease the amount of time that you're doing that activity, take a break and come back to it. Don't press forward when your body starts giving you signals the nausea or a headache or whatever, or your eyes just being really fatigued, be, be your best friend and listen to your body and take the break. Um, slow down and just, you know, but don't, but come back to it. Don't, if you press on, you can make yourself so sick that you're like, I don't, I don't want to use that light. I don't want to do that activity. And then we withdraw from participating in life. So, um, be 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 sensitive to those signals and be just be smart and, and adjust your activity to them. Well, thank so, you, Mary Jesse. We've talked mm-hmm. a bit about light, and maybe we can return to it. But you had uh, amongst the key things you had listed lighting, size, and contrast. So, yes. what are the what are the tools you keep in your toolbox to help people with with size? So you know, particularly with, with, well, with reading. And the good news is I don't, I don't work alone. So I work with a low-vision optometrist in the area who has a wonderful clinic set up with all of the video magnifiers and portable magnifiers. And she's been, in, uh, she's been a great servant in our community so that she even has boxes of things that when people have tried and thought they were going to work or or, you know, uh, families have donated them from the states, et cetera, that there's a huge amount to try. And so when you talk about what's in the toolbox, there are so many tools <laughs> that it's not, well, this works or that works. And again, it comes to the person, the activity, and the environment. So handheld magnifiers with lights are very nice, but not if you have a little bit of tremor. Um, the standing, the, the, the type of, um, they have standing magnifiers where it sits right on top of the, uh, the paper and can put bright light and have different size magnifiers. And that's very nice if you can be at a table 
So it just depends on the environment for the person. But truthfully, Guy, these video magnifiers, both the desktop and the portable ones, are just an amazing uh, improvement for for reading and seeing all sorts of things. Where you know so they these would be these would be electronic magnifiers that maybe differ from from just something that you would have on uh, on a modern cell phone or so. These are these oh, are special okay. devices, right? Yes, yes. So we start you know the technology started with what we called the CCTV, the closed caption television, and and basically that was a camera and a, and it's a great big desktop device that's wonderful for seeing things, and it's moved from that to uh, using the technology of today with the video to be able to have much clearer um, images and uh, very adjustable. Uh, They've just greatly improved the the science of these desktop magnifiers. Uh, But they also now have portable ones that you can take into a store or take with you to a party um, or wherever you're going so that um, when you want to read something, you can put it up there and and increase the magnification. So something, because there's bright light, you may not need as large of a magnification. So whereas if you have a, 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 um, a, a magnifying glass, it, it is only, you know, 4X or, you know, 8X or whatever it is. When you have a portable magnifier, you can adjust the magnification according to the need of the activity and the environment. Well, Mary Jo, you know, there's a lot of companies out there, and you're, you're describing a lot of different types of products. And I guess one of the questions we, we would have is, what are your recommendations for getting the most out of the training to use these new tools? And, you know, sometimes these things, uh, especially electronics, are a little tough. So if someone is suggesting a new device for me, you know, what should, what should I be on the lookout for? What kinds of signs would tell me that I'm getting the service that I deserve in terms of the instruction time or the demonstration that they're providing? Well, that's very good. And, I, and it's, this is where there's different types of people who do different things. And the optometrists, it's typically optometrists who specialize in low vision, who will have the largest array of equipment or a low vision clinic where they will have, you know, a variety of equipment, different types for you to look at. Um, They often will also have uh, facilitators or, um, uh, instructors that come with that clinic who can give who are who have good skills in showing you exactly how to do it, but they may not be therapists in being able to really monitor. You know, what are you encoding? How, what are you able to remember? How can I help you remember it? So, the ideal situation really is to have. Um, a, a clinic or a place where you can see a variety of pieces of equipment and get your basic training in, but then to be able to take it home where you're using it and to have somebody come in and give you the training you need until you've mastered it and you can do what you want to do. So, you know, it takes a team and, uh, 
you know, again, I'm an occupational therapist and unfortunately there are not as many occupational therapists available across the country to do this type of work as, as is needed. But, um, there are a lot out there who may be not even being tapped. There may be listeners who have them in their area who they have the equipment, but they're not using it. Or they, they, they say, oh, this doesn't work. Well, it might be, and it's fr- especially frustrating if you feel like it worked when the person showed it to you. But then when you got it home, it doesn't work. And that would be a flag that you need somebody to come in and help you learn um, according to your own, you know, uh, skill skill set and preferences. I think we've all had that experience of of having something that looks so easy in the salesperson's hand, and then when we got it mm-hmm. home, so how did that? How's that work? Well, I do want to give everyone a reminder. You can briefly leave the call and ask a question to Mary Jo, our speaker today, by pressing star three and submit a question to your operator. And if you're disconnected from the call, you can always call back in at 877-229-8493. You'd be asked to punch in an ID code, and that number is 112435. I'd like to segue into the the questions that are coming in from from our audience. So as you can imagine, we have a number of questions that uh, that have been either submitted earlier by people who registered for the call or they're coming in right now. And um, well, the first question is just a, a simple, uh, Mar- Maurice from Connecticut is asking, what acuity qualifies someone for low vision? So mm. is there a threshold at which you would be able to, to go and see an occupational therapist or is there... Uh, is that up to some amount of discretion? Well, actually, what I, I did get a chance to see that question, and I pulled up the definition of levels of vision impairment that were established by the American Medical Association that is used for coding by all doctors, by all optometrists, ophthalmologists, and everyone. So there really are levels. So here, here, here's what um, Medicare and the American Medical Association say. There, are, there is a moderate level of vision impairment, a severe, a profound, near total, and total blindness. So the moderate is best corrected visual acuity less than 2060. So if your vision is better than 2060, then that would be a mild vision impairment. Um, it would not mean that you didn't qualify for services, for occupational therapy services. Uh, there, again, most of my clients don't come with one, just one diagnosis. <laughs> and so there may be, you know, it's the arthritis that, you know, the therapist may be able to deal with or whatever. But um, moderate is 20 to 60. Severe, which is considered legal blindness, is uh, when the best corrected visual acuity is less than 2160 or the visual field is 20 degrees or less. That's legally blind. And then profound or moderate blindness is 2,400 or worse. Uh, severe blindness is 21,000. And then no light perception is considered total blindness. So that was a lot of words, but um, I guess the, the takeaway is there, you know, th- that 2060 and over is considered um, a moderate, at least a moderate 
visual impairment that uh, would qualify for services. Okay, well, thank you. I hope that was helpful to, to Maurice. Uh, we have Miss Middleton from New Jersey asking for people who have severe vision loss and maybe even are completely blind. You know, are there any general tips that you, you, know, that you mm. suggest for someone coming in that, that might have lost uh, a, a substantial amount of vision, and how would you treat them differently from someone who might be in the more, the more moderate, although you know, certainly certainly, you know, problematic, but more moderate mm-hmm. vision. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the the real issue for me um, in, in working with someone is, was this a gradual loss or a very quick instantaneous loss? And when it's a, when it's a gradual loss, the brain, the brain adapts. It's not easy. It doesn't really make it a whole lot easier. In some ways it's, it drags out a loss that is, it can make it difficult for a person. Uh, but when somebody experiences a, a, a big drop in vision suddenly, uh, they're probably more at risk of falls than someone who's been, who, where it has been coming downhill. And they, they're, they're learning to cope on their own in a way. Um, so someone with a quick drop, I would be more concerned for their safety and looking at risks and helping them to be aware of, of, you know, where, where things could be dangerous. Um, but you know, again, whether it's total blindness or, uh, a mild, a moderate impairment from the OT point of view, you know, I want to sit down at your kitchen table and say, let's talk about where, where does the rubber hit the road? Where is this causing you the most problem? And it may be, you know, I can't find the, you know, the um, uh, shampoo in the shower. <laughs> or I can't remember if I've used the shampoo. I keep washing my hair three times in the shower or whatever it is. Uh, so, you know, the, the degree of impairment is, um, doesn't guide me quite as much, Guy, as it does, you know, the person's preferences and the, how it's impacting them. Well, let's, uh, we have a question. We have a listener, Carmen from Florida, asking about the devices that we were talking about earlier and asking mm-hmm. about the insurance coverage, uh, whether mm-hmm. or not they might be covered by insurance or, or Medicare. And, of course, this is different. Mm-hmm. Earlier we were talking about your service in terms of professional right. But What about the devices themselves? Unfortunately, Medicare uh, and, and most of the Medicaid programs uh, most of the Medicare Advantage programs do not cover the cost of the equipment. That said, there is one uh, for, for, for folks who are on waiver programs in the state, so that would be somebody who is on Medicaid. Anyone who is on Medicaid uh, can contact their state agency and ask to be um, to have their uh, sort of like an entitlement um, counseling session. It's like, what am I entitled to with these problems? And, and it may be that, uh, that with low vision that you are entitled to a waiver program uh, that's been set up by many of the states and that the waiver program will cover the cost. We've had waiver programs. And so this is for Medicaid clients who qualify for 
waiver programs. The waiver programs will even cover the desktop um, uh, uh, monitors for the kinds of video monitors for, for, for clients. Of course, there's always other agencies in the, in the area, too. I mean, it's a, depending on your, loca- lo, you know, your local community, the Lions Club and different other um, churches may have different funds. We've had a couple churches actually donate to funds so that we can purchase these supplies because, unfortunately, um, the, uh, the government can't handle it. <laughs> Okay. Well, well, thank you. So let's move on to a question that we have from Charlene from California, who's 90 years old and depends on the Internet to stay connected to her family and to learn about current happenings in the world. Unfortunately, her eyesight is declining, and she's asking about software or devices that might help specifically with computer or with Internet usage. And I, I might add in there, are, are, those, are, are your recommendations different if you're considering the internet that we access through tablets or phones as well as desktop computers? How do you help people stay connected with the, with the internet world? Right, right. And there are um, a couple things I, I, I would love to, to say to that. Um, the technology, again, has been just changing so rapidly from the CCTV to these wonderful video magnifiers. Now we have the internet and apps, uh, applications for the tablets, um, and computers that are beginning to uh, deal with low vision. So for Charlene, first, congratulations on being 90 and, 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 and enjoying the Internet. And I really hope that you will get somebody in your uh, area to help you stay connected through that. Uh, there, there is a device called Chromecast that uh, can enable folks on the Internet to connect their computer or tablet to a large screen TV. So that turns everything that's on your computer into big screen where you can increase font size, increase the size of, you know, whatever you're seeing very easily. Uh, So that that would be one. Mm -hmm. That that product name, I, I didn't quite catch that. Was that Procast? No, it's Chrome, as in um, the oh, Chrome, Chrome that used to be on the sensors like, of cars. Yes. Chrome, like Chrome on the car. Cast. Chromecast, mm-hmm. okay. Chromecast, and it's a device that you plug into the television, and it and you have a uh, if you have a computer that's on Wi-Fi, the you connect the Wi-Fi to the television set. I mean, it it connects through Chromecast, so. It's not the kind that would just do whatever's on your screen. It has to be internet connected. But it sounds like that's what Charlie wants. So that might be a device worth looking into. Um, the other, and I really want to make sure I get this out for your listeners too, Guy, is that there's two other things that are relatively new. Um, and someone else had asked about new. Spotlight text. Are you familiar with that one, Guy? No, I'm not. Oh, my. Oh, my. You're going to have, Charlene, you'll have to Google this. And everyone else is online. You can Google Spotlight Text. That's the name of the app. And it is, it's, it's only for Apple. So you would have to have a, an iPad or an Apple computer for this. But it is the first 
ebook reader specifically for individuals with vision loss. And it's amazing. They have um, over a quarter million books on something called Bookshare. And this enables you to have a, um, a, 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 uh, an e-reader where the text can be blown up to about any size you want. And again, this can be connected to the television, and it can be as large as you want if you want to read the books. And it has two interesting things. It, um, they have what they call dynamic text presentation. And so they have two modes on this. One is a teleprompter mode, and one is a marquee mode. And you can change the speed. So a teleprompter mode, the, 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 you keep your eyes in one spot to go across the page, and the, the, uh, the information moves up. So it will move up as quickly as you can read, so you don't have to be moving it and then losing track of where you are. It also has what they call a marquee mode, where the entire text would just go across the screen in one line so that you keep your eyes in one spot on this screen and the information moves across in front of you. And you can have it do that. Again, you can choose the size of the font and you can have it move as slowly or quickly as you want. And I have not had anybody try this yet. I'm very excited about someone who um, may have macular degeneration to the point that they're using their eccentric viewing or that PRL, that preferred retinal area, that if there's one area on your retina that you can kind of use, you can put the teleprompter in that spot and the information can go across in that spot. And honestly, our brains are amazing and it can learn to read. Well, that's a wonderful and hopeful message. Unfortunately, <laughs> we have to end things on, but you threw out a few words there. You threw out this Chromecast and Spotlight mm-hmm. text. We'll make sure that those get into the transcript so that anybody, if you missed it, give us a week okay. or so to get the transcript together, and we'll put that. We'll make that available on our own website, and we'll also okay. make that uh, available if anybody would like to call in. But, but Mary Jo, I think that's about as much time as we have for the day. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us, and thank you to everybody who joined the, the call and those of you who asked questions. Give us a week, and we'll, we'll get that recording and a transcript of the call up onto our website. Uh, we'll also get the, uh, a downloadable version onto iTunes and SoundCloud. And, of course, you can always call us for, for anything, but you can call us at 1-800-437-2423 to order a print transcript. Just give us a little bit of time to get that transcribed. So our next chat will be, I have AMD, now what? And we're going to encourage you to register and submit questions in advance, and we'll be sending anybody who registered for today's call, we'll be sending you a reminder email. If you would like to register for that August chat right now and also request free materials from Bright Focus, such as a macular degeneration of essential facts brochure, you can stay on the line right after the call concludes and leave a message, or you can call Bright Focus again at 1-800-437-2423. That's 800 800- 437-2423.
You can always find these resources on our brand new website, which is brightfocus.org. So B-R-I-G-H-T-F-O-C-U-S dot O-R-G. So Mary Jo McGuire, thank you again for sharing your expertise <laughs> today. You've covered so much. Uh, well, my there's pleasure. A, there's, a, there's a lot of people out there who, who are walking away with some of the answers they've been looking for. Thank you to everyone calling today. If you'd like to leave a comment after the call, uh, just, stay, just stay on the line. Uh, thank you from all of us at Bright Focus. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.